Section five of Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Memoirs of a Woman of Pleasure by John Cleland. Letter the First, Part Five. And why should I here suppress the delight I received from this amiable creature in remarking each artless look, each motion of pure, undissembled nature? betrayed by his wanton eyes or showing transparently the glow and suffusion of blood through his fresh clear skin whilst even his sturdy rustic pressures wanted not their peculiar charm oh but say you this was a young fellow of too low a rank of life to deserve so great a display may be so but was my condition strictly considered one jot more exalted or had I really been much above him, did not his capacity of giving such exquisite pleasure sufficiently raise and ennoble him, to me at least? Let who would, for me, cherish, respect, and reward the painters, the statuaries, the musicians' arts, in proportion to delight taken in them. But at my age, and with my taste for pleasure, a taste strongly constitutional to me, the talent of pleasing with which nature has endowed a handsome person formed to me the greatest of all merits compared to which the vulgar prejudices in favour of titles dignities honours and the like held a very low rank indeed nor perhaps would the beauties of the body be so much affected to be held cheap were they in their nature to be bought and delivered but for me whose natural philosophy all resided in the favourite centre of sense and who was ruled by its powerful instinct in taking pleasure by its right handle i could scarce have made a choice more to my purpose mr h s loftier qualifications of birth fortune and sense laid me under a sort of subjection and constraint that were far from making harmony in the concert of love nor had he perhaps thought me worth softening that superiority too but with this lad I was more on that level which love delights in. We may say what we please, but those we can be the easiest and freest with are ever those we like, not to say love, the best. With this stripling, all whose art of love was the action of it, I could, without check or awe or restraint, give a loose to joy, and execute every scheme of dalliance my fond fancy might put me to, in which he was, in every sense, a most exquisite companion and now my great pleasure lay in humouring all the petulances all the wanton frolic of a raw novice just fleshed and keen on the burning scent of his game but unbroken to the sport and to carry on the figure who could better tread the wood than he or stand fairer for the heart of the hunt he advanced then to my bedside and whilst he faltered out his message I could observe his colour rise, and his eyes lighten with joy, in seeing me in a situation as favourable to his loosest wishes, as if he had bespoke the play. I smiled, and put out my hand towards him, which he kneeled down to, a politeness taught him by love alone, that great master of it, and greedily kissed. After exchanging a few confused questions and answers, I asked him if he would come to bed to me, for the little time I could venture to detain him. 
this was just asking a person dying with hunger to feast upon the dish on earth the most to his palate accordingly without further reflection his clothes were off in an instant when blushing still more at his new liberty he got under the bedclothes i held up to receive him and was now in bed with a woman for the first time in his life here began the usual tender preliminaries as delicious perhaps as the crowning act of enjoyment itself which they often beget an impatience of then makes pleasure destructive of itself by hurrying on the final period and closing that scene of bliss in which the actors are generally too well pleased with their parts not to wish them an eternity of duration when he had sufficiently graduated our advances towards the main point by toying kissing clipping feeling my breasts now round and plump feeling that part of me i might call a furnace mouth from the prodigious intense heat his fiery touches had rekindled there my young sportsman emboldened by every freedom he could wish wantonly takes my hand and carries it to that enormous machine of his that stood with a stiffness a hardness an upward bent of erection and which together with its bottom dependence the inestimable bulge of ladies jewels formed a grand show out of goods indeed then its dimensions mocking either grasp or span almost renewed my terrors i could not conceive how or by what means i could take or put such a bulk out of sight i stroked it gently on which the mutinous rogue seemed to swell and gather a new degree of fierceness and insolence so that finding it grew not to be trifled with any longer i prepared for rubbers in good earnest slipping then a pillow under me that i might give him the fairest play i guided officiously with my hands this furious battering ram whose ruby head presenting nearest the resemblance of a heart i applied to its proper mark which lay as finely elevated as we could wish my hips being borne up and my thighs at their utmost extension the gleamy warmth that shot from it made him feel that he was at the mouth of the indraught and driving foreright the powerfully divided lips of that pleasure-thirsty channel received him he hesitated a little then settled well in the passage he makes his way up the straits of it with a difficulty nothing more than pleasing widening as he went so as to distend and smooth each soft furrow our pleasure increasing deliciously in proportion as our points of mutual touch increased in that so vital part of me in which i had now taken him all indriven and completely sheathed and which crammed as it was stretched splitting ripe gave it so gratefully straight an accommodation so strict a fold a suction so fierce that gave and took unutterable delight we had now reached the closest point of union but when he beckoned to come on the fiercer as if i had been actuated by a fear of losing him in the height of my fury i twisted my legs round his naked loins the flesh of which so firm so springy to the touch quivered again under the pressure and now i had him every way encircled and begirt 
and having drawn him home to me i kept him fast there as if i had sought to unite bodies with him at that point this bred a pause of action a pleasure stop whilst that delicate gluten my nether mouth as full as it could hold kept palating with exquisite relish the morsel that so deliciously engorged it but nature could not long endure a pleasure that so highly provoked without satisfying it pursuing then its darling end the battery recommenced with redoubled exertion nor lay i inactive on my side but encountering him with all the impetuosity of motion i was mistress of the downy cloth of our meeting mounts was now of real use to break the violence of the tilt and soon too soon indeed the high-wrought agitation the sweet urgency of this to-and-fro friction raised the titillation on me to its height so that finding myself on the point of going and loath to leave the tender partner of my joys behind me i employed all the forwarding motions and arts my experience suggested to me to promote his keeping me company to our journey's end i not only then tightened the pleasure girth round my restless inmate by a secret spring of friction and compression that obeys the will in those parts but stole my hand softly to that store-bag of nature's prime sweets which is so pleasingly attached to its conduit pipe from which we receive them there feeling and most gently indeed squeezing those tender globular reservoirs the magic touch took instant effect quickened and brought upon the spur the symptoms of that sweet agony the melting moment of disillusion when pleasure dies by pleasure and the mysterious engine of it overcomes the titillation it has raised in those parts by plying them with the stream of a warm liquid that is itself the highest of all titillations and which they thirstily express and draw in like the hot-natured leech which to cool itself tenaciously attracts all the moisture within its sphere of exuction chiming then to me with exquisite consent as i melted away his oily balsamic injection mixing deliciously with the sluices in flow from me sheathed and blunted all the stings of pleasure whilst the voluptuous languor possessed and still maintained us motionless and fast locked in one another's arms alas that these delights should be no longer lived for now the point of pleasure unedged by enjoyment and all the brisk sensations flattened upon us resigned us up to the cool cares of insipid life disengaging myself then from his embrace i made him sensible of the reasons there were for his present leaving me on which though reluctantly he put on his clothes with as little expedition however as he could help wantonly interrupting himself between whiles with kisses touches and embraces i could not refuse myself to yet he happily returned to his master before he was missed but at taking leave i forced him for he had sentiments enough to refuse it to receive money enough to buy a silver watch that great article of subaltern finery which he at length accepted of as a remembrance he was carefully to preserve of my affections and here madam i ought perhaps to make you an apology for this minute detail of things that dwelt so strongly upon my memory after so deep an impression but besides that this intrigue bred one great revolution in my life 
which historical truth requires I should not sink from you. May I not presume that so exalted a pleasure ought not to be ungratefully forgotten, or suppressed by me, because I found it in a character in low life, where, by the by, it is oftener met with purer and more unsophisticate, that among the false ridiculous refinements with which the great suffer themselves to be so grossly cheated by their pride. The great, than whom there exist few amongst those they call the vulgar, who are more ignorant of, or who cultivate less, the art of living than they do. They, I say, who forever mistake things the most foreign of the nature of pleasure itself, whose capital favorite object is enjoyment of beauty, wherever that rare invaluable gift is found, without distinction of birth or station. As love never had, so now revenge had no longer any share in my commerce with this handsome youth. The sole pleasures of enjoyment were now the link I held to him by, for though nature had done such great matters for him in his outward form, and especially in that superb piece of furniture she had so liberally enriched him with, though he was thus qualified to give the senses their richest feast, still there was something more wanting to create in me, and constitute the passion of love. Yet Will had very good qualities too, gentle, tractable, and above all grateful, close and secret even to a fault. He spoke at any time very little, but made it up emphatically with action, and, to do him justice, he never gave me the least reason to complain, either of any tendency to encroach upon me for the liberties I allowed him, or of his indiscretion in blabbing them. There is, then, a fatality in love, or have loved him I must, for he was really a treasure, a bit for the bonne bouche of a duchess, and, to say the truth, my liking for him was so extreme that it was distinguishing very nicely to deny that I loved him. My happiness, however, with him did not last long, but found an end from my own imprudent neglect. After having taken even superfluous precautions against the discovery, our success in repeated meetings emboldened me to omit the barely necessary ones. About a month after our first intercourse, one fatal morning, the season Mr. H. rarely or never visited me in, I was in my closet, where my toilet stood, in nothing but my shift, a bedgown and under-petticoat. Will was with me, and both ever too well disposed to balk an opportunity. For my part, a warm whim, a wanton toy, had just taken me, and I had challenged my man to execute it on the spot, who hesitated not to comply with my humour. I was set in the armchair, my shift and petticoat up, my thighs widespread and mounted over the arms of the chair, presenting the fairest mark to Will's drawn weapon, which he stood in act to plunge into me, when, having neglected to secure the chamber door, and that of the closet standing ajar, Mr. H. stole in upon us before either of us was aware, and saw us precisely in these convicting attitudes. I gave a great scream, and dropped my petticoat. The thunderstruck lad stood trembling and pale, waiting his sentence of death. Mr. H. looked sometimes at one, sometimes at the other, with a mixture of indignation and scorn, and without saying a word turned upon his heel and went out. 
as confused as i was i heard him very distinctly turn the key and lock the chamber door upon us so that there was no escape but through the dining-room where he himself was walking about with distempered strides stamping in a great chafe and doubtless debating what he would do with us in the meantime poor william was frightened out of his senses and as much need as i had of spirits to support myself i was obliged to employ them all to keep his a little up the misfortune i had now brought upon him endeared him the more to me and i could have joyfully suffered any punishment he had not shared in i watered plentifully with my tears the face of the frightened youth who sat not having strength to stand as cold and as lifeless as a statue presently mr h comes in to us again and made us go before him into the dining-room trembling and dreading the issue mr h sat down on a chair whilst we stood like criminals under examination and beginning with me asked me with an even firm tone of voice neither soft nor severe but cruelly indifferent what i could say for myself for having abused him in so unworthy a manner with his own servant too and how he had deserved this of me without adding to the guilt of my infidelity that of an audacious defence of it in the old style of a common kept miss my answer was modest and often interrupted by my tears in substance as follows that i never had a single thought of wronging him which was true till i had seen him taking the last liberties with my servant wench here he coloured prodigiously and that my resentment at that which i was overawed from giving vent to by complaints or explanations with him had driven me to a course that i did not pretend to justify but that as to the young man he was entirely faultless for that in the view of making him the instrument of my revenge i had downright seduced him to what he had done and therefore hoped whatever he determined about me he would distinguish between the guilty and the innocent and that for the rest i was entirely at his mercy mr h on hearing what i said hung his head a little but instantly recovering himself he said to me as near as i can retain to the following purpose madam i owe shame to myself and confess you have fairly turned the tables upon me it is not with one of your cast of breeding and sentiments that i should enter into a discussion of the very great difference of the provocations be it sufficient that i allow you so much reason on your side as to have changed my resolutions in consideration of what you reproach me with and i own too that your clearing that rascal there is fair and honest in you renew with you i cannot the affront is too gross i give you a week's warning to go out of these lodgings whatever i have given you remains to you and as i never intend to see you more the landlord will pay you fifty pieces on my account with which and every debt paid i hope you will own i do not leave you in a worse condition than what i took you up in or than you deserve of me blame yourself only that it is no better then without giving me time to reply he addressed himself to the young fellow for you spark i shall for your father's sake take care of you the town is no place for such an easy fool as thou art and to-morrow you shall set out under the charge of one of my men well recommended in my name to your father not to let you return and be spoiled here 
At these words he went out, after my vainly attempting to stop him by throwing myself at his feet. He shook me off, though he seemed greatly moved too, and took Will away with him, who, I dare swear, thought himself very cheaply off. I was now once more adrift, and left upon my own hands, by a gentleman whom I certainly did not deserve, and all the letters, arts, friends' entreaties that I employed within the week of grace in my lodging could never win on him so much as to see me again. He had irrevocably pronounced my doom, and submission to it was my only part. Soon after he married a lady of birth and fortune, to whom, I have heard, he proved an irreproachable husband. As for poor Will, he was immediately sent down to the country to his father, who was an easy farmer, where he was not four months before an innkeeper's booksome young widow, with a very good stock, both in money and trade, fancied, and perhaps pre-acquainted with his secret excellencies, married him, and I am sure there was, at least, one good foundation for their living happily together. Though I should have been charmed to see him before he went, such measures were taken by Mr. H.'s orders, that it was impossible, otherwise I should certainly have endeavoured to detain him in town, and would have spared neither offers nor expense to have procured myself the satisfaction of keeping him with me. He had such powerful holds upon my inclinations as were not easily to be shaken off, or replaced. As to my heart, it was quite out of the question. Glad, however, I was from my soul, that nothing worse, and as things turned out, probably nothing better could have happened to him. As to Mr. H., though views of conveniency made me, at first, exert myself to regain his affection, I was giddy and thoughtless enough to be much easier reconciled to my failure than I ought to have been, but as I never had loved him, and his leaving me gave me a sort of liberty that I had often longed for, I was soon comforted, and flattering myself that the stock of youth and beauty I was going into trade with could hardly fail of procuring me a maintenance, I saw myself under a necessity of trying my fortune with them rather, with pleasure and gaiety, than with the least idea of despondency. In the meantime, several of my acquaintances among the sisterhood, who had soon got wind of my misfortune, flocked to insult me with their malicious consolations. Most of them had long envied me the affluence and splendor I had been maintained in, and though there was scarce one of them that did not at least deserve to be in my case, and would probably sooner or later come to it, it was equally easy to remark, even in their affected pity, their secret pleasure at seeing me thus disgraced and discarded, and their secret grief that it was no worse with me, unaccountable malice of the human heart and which is not confined to the class of life they were of. But as the time approached for me to come to some resolution how to dispose of myself, and I was considering round where to shift my quarters to, Mrs. Cole, a middle-aged, discreet sort of woman, who had been brought into my acquaintance by one of the misses that visited me, upon learning of my situation, came to offer her cordial advice and service to me and as i had always taken to her more than to any of my female acquaintances i listened the easier to her proposals and as it happened i could not have put myself into worse or into better hands in all london 
into worse because keeping a house of conveniency there were no lengths in lewdness she would not advise me to go in compliance with her customers no schemes of pleasure or even unbounded debauchery she did not take even a delight in promoting into a better because having had more experience of the wicked part of the town than she had was fitter to advise and guard one against the worst dangers of our profession and what was rare to be met with in those of hers she contented herself with a moderate living profit upon her industry and good offices and had nothing of their greedy rapacious turn she was really too a gentlewoman born and bred but through a train of accidents reduced to this course which she pursued partly through necessity partly through choice as never woman delighted more in encouraging the brisk circulation of trade for the sake of the trade itself or better understood all the mysteries and refinements of it than she did so that she was consummately at the top of her profession and dealt only with customers of distinction to answer the demands of whom she kept a competent number of her daughters in constant recruit so she called those whom their youth and personal charms recommended to her adoption and management several of whom by her means and through her tuition and instructions succeeded very well in the world this useful gentlewoman upon whose protection i now threw myself having her reasons of state respecting mr h for not appearing too much in the thing herself sent a friend of hers on the day appointed for my removal to conduct me to my new lodgings at a brushmaker's in r street covent garden the very next door to her own house where she had no conveniences to lodge me herself lodgings that by having been for several successions tenanted by ladies of pleasure the landlord of them was familiarized to their ways and provided the rent was duly paid everything else was as easy and commodious as one could desire the fifty guineas promised me by mr h at his parting with me having been duly paid me all my clothes and movables chested up which were at least of two hundred pounds value i had them conveyed into a coach where i soon followed them after taking a civil leave of the landlord and his family with whom i had never lived in a degree of familiarity enough to regret the removal but still the very circumstance of its being a removal drew tears from me i left too a letter of thanks for mr h from whom i concluded myself as i really was irretrievably separated my maid i had discharged the day before not only because i had her of mr h but that i suspected her of having somehow or other been the occasion of his discovering me in revenge perhaps for my not having trusted her with him we soon got to my lodgings which though not so handsomely furnished nor so showy as those i left were to the full as convenient and at half price though on the first floor my trunks were safely landed and stowed in my apartments where my neighbour and now governant mrs cole was ready with my landlord to receive me to whom she took care to set me out in the most favourable light that of one from whom there was the clearest reason to expect the regular payment of his rent all the cardinal virtues attributed to me would not have had half the weight of that recommendation alone i was now settled in lodgings of my own 
abandoned to my own conduct, and turned loose upon the town, to sink or swim, as I could manage with the current of it. And what were the consequences, together with the number of adventures, which befell me in the exercise of my new profession, will compose the matter of another letter, for surely it is high time to put a period to this. I am, madam, yours, etc., etc., etc. The End of the First Letter End of Section 5